Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of the Main Street Finance Podcast. To celebrate the show finally hitting the double digits and having 10 episodes, I think it's about time to welcome our first guest to the show. A little forewarning, this episode is primarily to help win a Guinness World Record, so we stray a little bit away from teaching about finance in order to talk about our guest's personal story of working full-time for himself. While we will be talking about his financial preparations for this, it does come a little bit towards the middle of the episode. So without further ado, Scotty Moore is a podcaster who hosts and produces his own network of shows and is currently on a quest to break a world record. And today we are going to help him get there. So, Scotty, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm a famous Wall Street banker, and that's why I'm here. I have so much experience in the world of finance and marketing. I'm a very smart marketing mind and that's why i'm here and that's for the only reason well it's good to hear that we got a financial expert here on the show i just have one question though just from that response uh can you name five investment banks for me oh man there's um clark there's (laughs) oh man barry blue jeans is my favorite (laughs) i'm naming adventure zone characters at this point is where i'm at (laughs) So I think we've established that you're not here on the show to talk about investment banking. So I had mentioned something about a world record. So what what kind of record are we looking at here? Oh, I'm trying to be on as many podcasts imaginable, like as many recorded episodes of podcast media by the end of the year. I'm at like one four. No, wait, was it one nineteen, one twenty? I'm somewhere around that right now, and I'm aiming for five hundo by the end of the year. So, is that for a calendar year or like middle of the year to middle of the year? I should have started mid year because I didn't start it like as a as an ambition until mid year. But when I submitted it to Guinness, I was like, I'm starting at January first, twenty twenty. So this is technically me only working at like fifty percent power. Because I've missed the whole year of prep, so. Honestly, I gotta say, you probably picked the best time to start What with the, uh, you know, uh, global pandemic going on. Oh yeah, that whole thing happened. That was honestly the reason why I wanted to, because um, last year we ended up having like four live shows, and that was really exciting. So this year, I always want to make sure this year is better than the last. So I was like, okay, we gotta aim for five, six, up that, and then... COVID happened, and we were like, oh, we can't do a live anything. And so I was like, okay, what can I do instead? And I said, well, why don't this break just set a world record? Let's just do that. Yeah, I mean, you might as well. I mean, we're all stuck inside anyway. Break a world record? Pfft, why not? Yeah, no big deal. So is there a current record on the books for that, or, or is this just new? There is not. I'm going to be the first one to set it. <laughs> I initially wanted to do... uh, it's dumb, but I do a professional wrestling audio drama. So imagine everything you would get from a pro wrestling show, but it's all audio based. So there's still matches. There's still guys cutting promos backstage, but it's, there's just audio. And so I was like, I wonder if I could get like longest running pro wrestling audio drama because I know there's no other one in existence. And so I said, okay, uh, let me, let me aim at that. Let me see if that would be a thing. And then I went to Guinness's website and they go, if you're submitting a new record, here are some rules. If it's too specific or it's not competitive, you're not going to get it. Like, we're not going to give you that world record if you're the only person doing it. And so from then I pivoted because I already do like seven podcasts, five or six of them are weekly. So I knew I already had a lot of shows under my belt at the end of the year, probably around 300. 
And so I said, okay, let's just do a bunch of podcast appearances and see if we could shoot it up to be most podcast appearances in a single year. So is that counting or not counting your own shows? Like guest on another podcast? No, no, it's just podcast appearances. So my shows count, guest show appearances count, um, uh, 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 voice acting counts. So I do voice acting for the show Relativity. I've done it for side questing for my own shows. So all everything's on it. The only thing is I can't, it, if it's a repeat, it doesn't count. So I've got like a few feeds where I put copies of things I've posted elsewhere, or I know I did a show a few weeks ago that they ended up putting on three RSS feeds, but only one of those counts. So it has to be unique appearances. Gotcha. So have they told you how they're how they're going to verify it? I mean, is someone going to have to sit down in a dark room somewhere and just listen to 500 episodes of various podcasts just to go, yep, that's him, and then just put a tally mark? I would have to assume all they have to do is, like, click in and hear my voice to verify it's on there. So I've already made up, like, a spreadsheet, and each episode I do, I provide a link on Podchaser so they can you know, click in and immediately know, like, oh, Scotty's on this, at what point is he on this, and just verify that I'm on all of these shows. Makes sense to me, but... Uh... Since there isn't already one of these records, have you already won? Or did they give you a certain number that you have to beat? Or how does that work? Uh, no, they didn't. Uh, they All they say is, like, what are you aiming for? And I said 500. Which, for me, I know there are daily podcasts out there where people post, like, every single day. And that means they would all, like, because I, like I said, I usually can get about 300 out in a year without guest appearances. If someone does a daily podcast, they're beating me by 65. So I went, okay, 500, so that way even the daily podcast people have to end up putting out more stuff, so. Yeah, that makes sense. So any particular reason that you want to be on so many podcasts, or is it just something you want to shoot for? It, it, like, it was initially just wanting to break a world record, because I got, I'm, one of my friends is Megaran, he's a nerdcore rapper, and he got a Guinness World Record for the most songs about a single video game franchise, and it's either Final Fantasy or Meg, Mega Man, I can't remember which one, but the minute I saw that, I said, okay, if he gets a world record, I get a world record, but man, I'll tell you, like, it's been, like, stupid rewarding meeting all of these new podcasters and then like fresh-faced young podcasters on only like 10 episodes and getting to like teach them a little bit or people who've been in it a long time like i did a show last week and afterwards they go hey uh i'm gonna just tweet it to a bunch of different people that i'm friends with and tell them to have you on their show and i was like okay so it's like getting to meet it's literally like experiencing evolution you get I get to meet the beginning people, the people who have been there for a very long time and everywhere in between. So I, I've come to really love it because the, the issue I had when I first started podcasting is I had guested on a few and I loved being just this little force of chaos that would come in. And if they had a plan, I'd ruin it. And so once I started my own shows, I go, oh, no, I can't ruin this. This is my show. So it feels good to go back to where I started, which is guesting and getting to just go ca cause chaos as opposed to having to like rein things in and make sure everything fits according to the plan for the show. Yeah, it's definitely a good thing that you're throwing curveballs at the uh, what was it? Who was your target audience? The new podcasters? Yeah, th those are the ones we're going wild on. Oh, I'm going to destroy those people's shows. I'm going to make it absolutely unlistenable. The shows, those people's shows. 
Gotcha. Because you gotta, you know, they're new, those filthy pleb new podcasters. I mean, under 10 episodes, how weak can you possibly be? The ones that don't even know how to use Google Hangouts yet, they're the worst. Yeah, that's (laughs) definitely not a thinly veiled reference. Good thing I'm not one of those. I'll have you know that this is my 10th episode. Another thing I wanted to address, something that you had mentioned about a minute or two ago, just just for my audience, because I already know, clearly. Um, So what is a, uh, a nerdcore rapper? Oh, it's the best genre of rap. It is rapping about, like I said, Mega Ran, he raps about video games, but also he has albums about pro wrestling and pro wrestlers. Um, there's a woman out of it. And I don't know if she would be classified as nerdcore, but her name is Samus. So it does already feel nerd Corey. So she's amazing. Uh, MC Chris is probably one of the biggest ones. So like if you were a fan of like Aqua Teen Hunger Force, MCP Pants, that was MC Chris. And it's just, it's rapping, it's hip hop, and it's great beats, great lyrics, but it's all about nerd culture. Well, all righty then. That about answers my I mean, the, the audience's question. Uh, <laughs> you'd mentioned that you have a wrestling podcast and had referenced at least one other. So what other podcasts do you have in your portfolio? Um, well, I do an improv comedy show called A Load of BS, which is where every week we come up with a movie and then we improv what we think the movie would be. I've got two wrestling shows, the audio drama, and then one that's about general news. I've got one on theme park design, which is funnier than you think it would be. Uh, A self-help diary kind of podcast, a space audio drama, a book club kind of thing where I go on and read read the audio books of all of my different novels I've put out. So, like, I've got a few cooking in the kiln. So you just don't stop, basically. Yeah, I believe every single day we release something either on an RSS feed or on YouTube. So every day we try to put something out. Well, alrighty then. Another thing I wanted to comment on, you had mentioned a roller coaster podcast. Now, is there any way, shape, or form that you're plagiarizing some kind of name or joke about Roller Coaster Tycoon? No, no, no. It's uh, I love the name for this show because my co-host on it is the exact opposite of me where I am chaos and big energy and he's very chill and it's just like, Hey, let's just talk about like the history of roller coasters and the history of theme parks. And so the only logical name for it was opposite attractions. So we talk about theme park attractions and we are complete and total opposite. So it fits really well. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure it has its ups and downs. I hate you. <laughs> I hate you so much. <laughs> yeah. Bad dad jokes and money. That's what my listeners come here for. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So what was it? Five or six podcasts releasing something every day, guesting on which are trying to be 500 different podcasts. Uh, how did you first get into podcasting? Uh, I got into well, I'd always loved podcasts like uh, and it, I was uh, like a sixth grader listening to podcasts, which is the weirdest thing of all time. Like I could not imagine a sixth grader now sitting down like yeah, let's listen to the latest episode of this. But I would listen to Smodcast, which is Kevin Smith's podcast. I listen to this one called Weird Things that is one of my favorite shows, and I'm now kind of friends with those guys, so that meant a lot. Um, and I I fell in love with it because podcasting was like a realm where anything was possible. Like Kevin Smith, who does Smodcast, he literally came up with a movie idea on his show and then ended up making the movie. And with me, it became a world of like, oh, because throughout my whole life, I'd had grand ideas. 
of like in high school, I wanted to make movies like Star Wars and stuff like that. But you can't afford to make a make Star Wars with the no money you have in high school. The beauty of podcasting is the fact that you can make anything you want. You can say anything and it's it's there. So like I said, uh, pro wrestling was a, a big thing I always wanted to do. And then I made a show where I get to be a pro wrestler and I get to play commentator and I get to play interviewer. So like every it. It, it's bringing all of my dreams to life with less work, and I very appreciate that. So I'm starting to see a theme here. You like watching wrestling, you're a commentator for it, and then you discovered podcasting and jumped headfirst into that. Is there any chance that you're a Joe Rogan fan? Absolutely not. No, not at all? Because you seem to be following the same sort of path here. Uh, yes, but Joe, Joe does UFC, and I do professional wrestling, so I'm more onto the... Uh, the fun side of it, as opposed to UFC, where they've got some big personalities, but, like, nothing compared to, like, WWE or AEW and stuff like that. And Joe is just, he's such a polarizing guy, and I just can't, my favorite quote, I saw it on Twitter the other day, my favorite quote about Joe Rogan was, Joe Rogan seems like the kind of guy who mistakes having a lot of thoughts for being smart. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds like Joe Rogan. <laughs> Yeah, I, I could see that. I mean, he, he not to insult the guy, the guy's done amazing. It's just like, it, it's this thing of like, um, the best way I just, um, and I'm going to get into this a little bit more, but like, I feel like a lot of us glorify certain celebrities and we're like, oh, that guy would be like my best friend or I'd love to hang out with like Donald Glover or something like that. But then when you think about it, you're like, I get it, but that person in me wouldn't click. That's how I am with Joe Rogan. I'm like, He's a very intense individual, and me and him just wouldn't click. We wouldn't mesh together, essentially. Alrighty, and uh, let, let's get into a more controversial topic here. Something a little more racy. Is wrestling real? No, it's scripted. It's full on. It's a. Let me. I. It's not like full on. I'll just straight as a person who writes it. It's not. That's why I'm able to do an audio drama of it, and it still has all of the same beats of the same professional wrestling. But I will say, um, the thing, a lot of people try to discount wrestling because of that, of that. They say, like, oh, well, it ain't real, so why do you watch it? I'm like, Game of Thrones ain't real. Lost ain't real. Uh, uh, Barry on HBO, nothing. So the most successful shows of all time are not real. And I don't I don't think uh, pro wrestling should get a mark against it for being scripted, you know, and I'm glad you're saying that because that is exactly the 15, 20 second audio clip I need to send to a friend of mine up in Chicago. <laughs> yeah, and it was one of my fraternity brothers. I mean, we'd argue about it for hours at the time I was doing jujitsu and he loved watching wrestling and would sit in front of the parlor and just watch it on the big screen. And I'm watching it with the experience of being thrown around like a rag doll. And it's like, I can see what they're doing to diffuse the force of the blows. So he's looking at me going, wow, did you see him just take that hit? And I'm like, yeah, but did you see that little move he did right there, right before he the, the hit? Well, that diffused at least half the force. He didn't really take that hit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like, there are moves they take. One of my favorite uh, quotes from a commentator is, there's no good way to fall off a ladder. And that's the beauty of professional wrestling is the fact that they're able to do things that, uh, no offense, you couldn't do in a UFC. You could not do in jujitsu, but they've learned to take those falls in a way where 
they can actually get in it. Like they can do more intense seeming things. Yeah, those muscles just kind of absorb a lot more force than I think they can. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so how did you first get into podcasting? What what was your first podcast? Was it wrestling? Uh, no, uh, I, but we ended up talking about wrestling on it so much we made the wrestling show. Uh, no, the first one was A Load of BS, and that one was made in 2016. And that was uh, that was started purely because... I missed my friend. I had moved to Orlando to ironically train to be a wrestler. And so I was like, okay, I want to find a way to keep talking to you. Let's do a show. Because when we would talk in college, we'd go off BSing about something. And the audience, or by audience, I mean the people around us who were forced to listen would be like, we have no idea what you're talking about, but it's very entertaining. And so that's what we we realized was oh, people like talking or hearing us speak. And we started doing a show. And then as it went on, we realized like, okay, we got to figure out what it was about those conversations that made people enjoy us speak. So after a while, we realized like, oh, it wasn't us talking about our week. It wasn't us talking about like what we had for dinner or how drunk we got last night. What they enjoyed was the improv. It was when we would come up with an idea for a movie or come up with an idea for some crazy character and went off on that. So that's what the show eventually evolved into becoming. Because at the beginning, it was very much a two white guys talking about nothing podcast, which there are five billion of. So we had to find a way to set ourselves apart. Makes sense to me. So how did one podcast turn into two? At, at what point did you just go, you know, uh, just one ain't good enough for me? Well, it was a matter of that was the only time me and him really talked. And so we would want to talk about everything. We'd want to talk about wrestling. We'd want to talk about this and that. And we realized like, oh no, our audience is probably not primarily wrestling fans. We can't talk about wrestling anymore, but we should do a wrestling show. And actually the reason we started it more than anything else, yes, we wanted to talk about wrestling weekly, but it was because I wanted to do JWF, which is our wrestling organization. That was something that we did in college. Like we would sit there and literally turn our teachers and fellow students into wrestlers and come up with full-blown like i think we had booked an entire year and a half of stories based on their different characters and stuff like that and i was like we gotta do something like that and we tried it uh as like a youtube series but it just didn't it didn't work and so then we finally said well what if we put it at the end of the wrestling podcast as if it's like half the show is talking about traditional wrestling and at the end it's like oh but let's talk about one other wrestling organization that people may not know about and then we would cut to the commentary and that that's how that happened that's how that grew and then once that show grew and people started getting invested in the storylines we decided to spin that off to become its own singular show was it a whole load of bs Oh man, the first uh, no, just just BS is a load of BS. I, as much as I wanted, set, that's the only problem I have with our branding. As far as the BS network goes, is a people will make the is this just a bunch of BS goof? And I'm like, ha. Huh. Uh, but it's it's also because I feel like it kind of discredits us because BS came from our initials. It did not come from the concept of BSing. Uh, he's Blake. I'm Scotty. So we were like, oh, we'll call it the BS network. It's fun. It's a pun. But now it's got people who are like, hey, is this serious? And I'm like, I've done this for three years. I have done serious storylines like this is. So, yeah, like. Sorry to step all over your joke like that. 
Nah, it's all good. The two biggest reactions I usually get are either just really hateful glares or just being ignored. So I'm I'm used to it. Well, this is like a, a, a finance marketing kind of thing. So I was like, let me get into brand speak for a minute and the things I did right and things I did wrong. <laughs> so speaking of branding, marketing and money, what do you do for money? I mean, you're going for, what, 500 episodes. You manage several podcasts. I mean, a whole podcast network. That's going to take up a lot of time. What do you do for work? Uh, this. This is what I do for work. Luckily, I'm very blessed in that way. Uh, we get our money through Patreon. Uh, patreon.com slash load of BS if anyone wants to help out there. Uh, we get our money through our Patreon page. Um, and that's usually a very dedicated one. Then we also have a merch store because when we first started out, I was very hard and heavy. Like, uh, not to spoil the behind the scenes, but in the show notes, you were like, hey, when was this a hobby? I'm like, this was never a hobby. I wanted this to become a full thing because, like I said, when I went to Orlando, it was to train to be a pro wrestler. That ended up not panning out. Uh, if you listen to any of my shows, you'll eventually find out what happened. But like, uh, that was my dream was to be a wrestler. And then once that dream didn't pan out, I was kind of grabbing at straws to see where I would fling to next. And it flung me towards podcasting. And so that's when I was like, okay, this is my new serious thing. We need a website. We need a Patreon. We need a merch store. And because I come from the world of pro wrestling, uh, merch was really important to me because there are a lot of wrestlers that have made seven figure salaries off of just merchandise uh they're the brand new company that just started up aew they're on tnt they love them so much but a lot of people called them a glorified t-shirt company because a lot of the guys who were there made so much bank off of their t-shirts and so uh when we first started i ended up making a merch store and making sure like figuring out what my audience was into what would look good uh, figuring out how to design shirts appropriately where people would want to wear them. Uh, because there are a lot of wrestling shirts that people just absolutely shouldn't and wouldn't wear. And so I was trying to like dissect the biggest and most important like wrestling shirts of all time and be like, why did people buy these? And it came down to like cult mentality for the most part, usually the most popular ones for, for groups like the NWO or the Bullet Club or Stone Cold Steve Austin, like these people who had like a real cult following. That was one important thing. And then the other one, and this is this is weird that I actually think about this when it comes to making merchandise, but you also, I really took into account how the design on the shirt shapes your body. Because I realized uh, there's a group, I just referenced them in New Japan Wrestling, their name is The Bullet Club. They had the most popular shirt of like all time when it comes to wrestling. And I realized why it's because it is a block. It, it's kind of like a block. So it's kind of like a square, but it slightly pivots in at the bottom. So essentially like imagine almost forming a V when someone wears that, whether they look, whether they're overweight, whether they're scrawny, whether that it gives them a V shaped body because your eye automatically looks at the white text and it's forming a V and then it's on a black shirt. So that completely fades away. So it makes your body look better. So I, I take into account all of that stuff when I create our merch. Sorry, I just went off on a whole tangent about merchandise. No, no, it's all good. It's, it sounds like you did a lot of research. You really wanted to look into it. So yes or no, would you say that you have some really good stuff in there? Yes, absolutely. There are some that I've just like thrown in, like that's just a cool design and I would like to put it on a shirt. But the majority of the time I do try to think about 
maximizing as much of the shirt I can print on, maximizing making sure it would shape someone's body good, making sure that it's something someone would wear without getting judged. Because like I, I come from the world of wrestling. So there's a lot of wrestling shirts that are absolutely hideous and people wouldn't wear them in public normally. So I had to kind of also study fashion a little bit and figure out what would be fashionable as well to wear on a graphic tee. Gotcha. I just wanted to make sure you had some good stuff in there and that your entire store wasn't just a load of BS. I'm just going to go to Twitter, see if I can just fit in another appearance tonight. <laughs> go somewhere else. Alrighty, everyone. And that was Scotty Morris. No, <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell me this. Did you jump straight in full time as a podcaster or was there some kind of gradual shift? Like, did you just have like one really bad shift as, say, a cashier and just, you know what? I'm going to go talk about wrestling. I'm going to put on the cape. Uh, no, I was part time for a very until earlier this year, about about January. Uh, it was I was working as a cashier at a uh, at a kid's shoe store. And yeah, that wasn't like it, it wasn't a good fit for me. Like even my manager after a while was like, like after I, we parted, they were like, hey, yeah, that that didn't fit you at all. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I've I've had part time gigs and then. I got really inspired by one of the guys from the podcast I was talking about, Weird Things, and he was talking about, he used to be a touring magician. I know, right? I know weird people. And he goes, I looked at my wife one day and I said, I'm getting pretty good at this. Give me a year. And that's where I'm at right now. Luckily, my wife has a very good job as well. And so January came around, I was like, give me a year. And she goes, all right. And then everything is blown up from there. Getting to focus all of your energy into one thing really helps that thing blow up. So you're so you're married while doing podcasting full time. Did did you already have her hooked? Did you already have the ring on her finger when you said, hey, honey, full time? I'm just going to take a room in the house and I'm going to chat. I think it was just the absolute fame that drew her in the fame and promise of riches that podcasting has no it doesn't uh yeah no no, no. I, I that's a whole story but i knew her from high school she was actually my first girlfriend then we broke up after a week and i started dating her best friend because i'm a terrible person and then so many years later me and her ended up getting back together literally like three months when i moved back uh back home from orlando so you're moving quick i see Oh, yeah, yeah. It was a, a whole lot of moving fast. It was here. It was up to college in uh, Birmingham, Alabama, then down to Orlando. I, I jumped around a bit for a few there. Yeah, yeah. Just sort of bouncing back and forth on the ropes, so to say. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so was was the shift from fitting children's shoes to talking about podcasting full time? Was, was that all immediate or was there some overlap with working part time and podcasting? Oh, no, no. I was always working like all the times I had part time gigs. I was also working on the network. Ba basically, I had this moment where I was like dipping my toe in the water, you know, like I want to quit. I want to do this full time, but like I'm afraid to jump in. I'm afraid to jump in. And then like, like I said, that talking to Brian when he was like, you just got to jump all the way in. My favorite expression i ever heard was in college because in college i felt like a little bit of an outsider in the theater department and one time i was walking with one of my roommates he was this little kid he's this little guy and he had the best voice but i remember him looking at me he goes you know scotty i've been training or i've been working here at the theater for a few and i've realized man if you're not balls deep you're not in at all and i went 
I like that. I'm going to steal that. So that's kind of where I'm at. Like, you, you either all in or not at all. And so January, I'm like, I'm going all in. The wife loved it because beforehand, like I said, I worked probably 40 hours on stuff for the podcasting network. And then I had a 30-hour job on top of that. So I had no time for her, no time for the kid, no time for anything. And then now it feels like what a normal person leads in life of like, oh, I get to see my family and then go to work as opposed to what it was before, which was just work, 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 work. Yeah, sounds like the only thing you were fitting were kid shoes. Yeah. <laughs> so did you make any money moves to prepare yourself for that? Like maybe did you fatten up a savings account? Like did you have a backup plan in case the whole full-time podcasting thing either didn't work out or maybe was slower to grow than you'd thought? Um, actually it was the opposite. It was very, very fast, but it was a buck wild moment because I was going on a, a fitness journey as well to lose a lot of weight. Still haven't done that, but whatever. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to give myself six months to do this. And then about the same time, I looked at how much we were getting in from, uh, from tax returns and it was enough to last me six months. And I said, oh, wow. That is quite appropriate. So at first I was like, I'm only going to try to do it in six months. And then luckily a very good stimulus package came our way. And I said, okay, this is a full year. So I've got, I got a full year out of it. So a big part of podcasting, I would imagine, is the art of building a brand. Because with podcasting, it's unique from most other jobs because what you're ultimately selling is you, your personality, your thoughts, your ideas, and even those of your guests. So how would you describe the process of building your own brand? It was very difficult, and I'm still in the process. Like, I just had to change our logo because, A, our old logo was very intense. Like, it looked like an old Nordic rune, and I love Norse mythology, so I loved it. Then one time I did a guest spot on a show, and my logo used to be on the wall behind me, and they go, do you know that you have the Nazi SS logo in the middle of yours? And I said what and i turned around and i realized that yeah there are the two lightning bolts of the ss so i immediately had to fix that so that was a big branding problem we had for a while but now it's it's a lot i love our new logo it's uh kind of modeled after a heart but i've written bs into it it's very nice um but yeah in the beginning it was really rough figuring out what we wanted to say and what we wanted to promote and because like there were times where uh, I, we were like, we're just going to be those two guys who get drunk and are crazy. And number one, that's not good because when getting drunk is your brand, that means you have to drink a lot and that's not good for your health. So that was one issue. Um, thinking like, oh, we're just going to be the crazy guys. That doesn't work because uh, I, I, like I said, I do improv comedy and improv. It's an important rule is start at zero and go to a hundred. So that way the craziness stands out. If we're all crazy all the time, it doesn't work. So we kind of ended up figuring out, well, BS is kind of like this ultimate birthplace of great ideas. We used to describe our show as imagine two guys at the end of the night at the bar looking at each other like, hey, man, I got an idea for a movie. And BS is what a lot of people think is kind of throwaway stuff. But for me, it's the beginning of some beautiful art. Like that is where chaos, like chaos spurns creativity, spurns great ideas. And so that's kind of what our what we're trying to show is how easy it is 
to come up with stuff off the fly, how easy a lot of the stuff many people are afraid of getting into, whether that be writing, making movies, even writing for pro wrestling, how difficult that is. We're coming in and showing like, actually all it takes is a little bit of BS and you could be on your way very, very quickly as long as you take it serious. We are serious BS. Well, as long as you're serious about it, I mean, we can always be good with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so trying to take it seriously, building your own brand. How do you network as a professional podcaster? Because you don't have a nine to five. You don't have an office that you would normally go to. And normally you meet people like professional conferences. Maybe you run into them at the office. You don't really have that. So how do you build that network as a professional podcaster or really as an entrepreneur? Uh, social media is my number one way. Because uh, it, I guess it also depends on the type of show. So for, I guess, like a marketing show or a finance show, something like LinkedIn might be a better place. But for me, in the shows we create, like Twitter is very good. Instagram's all right. We'll make like headliners, which essentially will take an audio clip and kind of create a cool little video for it and put those up on Instagram every once in a while. And that's the main way we do it. And also just following other podcasters on there and getting into their comments talk like earlier today i followed a random podcast about rupaul's drag race and i immediately started chatting with them that way maybe in the future i could go up here on that show um so that's one way conventions are my favorite thing in the world and that's not just because i get to go to a random fancy town and get drunk for a weekend but that's definitely part of it but cons are great for me because for cons i get to see the people in person and it's so easy for me at a con to tell the people who are, I like to call them my tribe, my little weirdo great group of people. So I can walk in and look and see like, okay, he's in a business suit and he's chatting up some random girl who's working at the speaker desk. He's weird. Oh, she has green hair and flames on her pants. That's my person. So, like, I, I love cons because it allows me to easily weed out, like, okay, that person's weird, this person's my kind of person, and then you get to build a rapport with them through that weekend. I went to Podcast Movement last year, and I still chat with, um, I, I can't, I wish I could remember his name, but I, oh, wait, Scott, that's why we were friends. Uh, Scott with the Millennial Nerds podcast, Megan with Oh No Lit Class, uh, Leela of Horizontal, like, all these people still stay in my life. And it's just from like hanging out with even Jared, the guy who owns podcast movement. He's made more connections for me than anybody else. But yeah, cons, cons are like my number one place to go because it's very easy for you to find your tribe. Makes sense to me. But uh, just to make it clear for my audience here, by con, you mean a convention? Yes, a convention. So uh, a quick rundown, podcast movement's probably the biggest one. Um, pod. Con, I don't think they're doing anymore, but I really liked PodCon. Uh, PodFest, they have in Orlando, and I think that would be a good one for you to go to specifically, because they're more focused in like business podcasts from what I saw when I went, so that would be very good. They're, uh, I don't know if they're doing it this year, but there was like Audio Drama Fest or something like that. I can't remember what it was called, but I think it was in Philly. And that one was very pod tales. Pod tales fest is what it was called. So there are tons of podcasting conventions and a lot of them all for like very specific niches. And so I, I love cons. Yeah, I, I used to go to several myself and they're just a blast. I mean, you get to meet a lot of people that like the same stuff you do. And it's just very easy to make friends. 
Yeah, yeah. My <laughs> favorite is still stuff like Dragon Con or Comic Con, though, because then you get to learn about podcasting, but then you get to go hang out with like weird cosplayers and meet Chewbacca. Like it's weird. Oh, definitely. It's not like every day you get to just go down to the hotel bar and just get a beer with Chewie. Don't I don't bring up this. I have this story. I have this exact story of partying with Chewbacca. I mean, you don't think you're going to get away with not telling that story. Okay. okay. No, it's a, it is a bar in Atlanta. It was Dragon Con weekend and it's a bar called the Red Phone Booth. And it's one of my favorite bars of all time because it's a speakeasy. It is literally a phone booth. You dial in a specific code that changes nightly and it turns into a door and you get to walk into a secret bar. And apparently that night, like the cast of The Walking Dead were in there. Um, the guy who played Max on a Goofy movie was there. Uh, the cast of Welcome to Night Vale, Travis McElroy. Like, there were a ton of people there. And we idiots were waiting to get in. And at one point, a person just strolls up to us. It's a very tall man, a shorter man, and then, like, a normal-sized man. And they just knock on the door. They don't even worry. And the guy opens and goes, are you guys with the private party? And they go, no, but that's BB-8, and that's Chewbacca. And the guy goes, give me one moment, goes back in, comes back out, lets him in. Then we get in a few minutes later and we're immediately chat up Chewbacca. And I had to make the offer at one point. Can I buy you a beer? He goes, actually, could I get a whiskey sour? And I said, you're my kind of man. Absolutely. And so we all just kind of like stood around in a circle drinking whiskey sours and making wookie noises with Chewbacca for a while there. It was very a proud moment of my life. So I. I I gotta ask because I gotta be clear. I lost track myself. Are we talking about drinking a beer with the actual actor who plays Chewbacca, or are we talking about just some dude with a Chewbacca costume? The actual actor who portrays Chewbacca in the new Star Wars films. Well, I certainly and, have a best friend that I can send that clip to to make him insanely jealous. <laughs> and the actor who played BB-8. Yeah, they were both there. Uh, they were super cool, super nice. The thing that got me, like, I drank too much that night, so I don't remember past a certain point. And I talked to my friend after, and he goes, yeah, we were hanging with literal Chewbacca, and you left at one moment to go talk to other people as if Chewbacca wasn't good enough for you. And I said, oh, no! See, I mean, that's just common knowledge. Everyone knows you make dumb decisions when you're drinking. Yep. I did get some free cigars out of it, though, so I was proud of that. There you go. I guess you just got to smoke up with Chewy then. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so getting us a little bit back on track here. Being a professional podcaster that you don't really work for anybody, would you consider yourself to be an entrepreneur? I, I mean, I guess. It's one of those words that I think is gross. Like, going to a bunch of cons, like, those kind of words sting me a little bit. Because there will be, like, one of the cons I went to that I will not name, uh, somebody came out and was like, if you think you're making money from podcasting, you can get out of here. And I'm like, I know multiple people who have full-time jobs from podcasting. What's wrong with you? And then they'd be like, you have to be an entrepreneur. You have to sell books. You have to do this. You have to do that. And I'm like, I understand expanding your portfolio, dude. But, like, it's just, it's kind of like influencer, you know? It's just like, to me, a gross word that doesn't really describe what you do. Entrepreneur just seems like, yeah, that's that's a thing, I guess, that makes me seem fancy. Yeah, that's something that just really frustrates. Like, it, the term really doesn't mean much. To, so, 
I'm a I'm a full time credit analyst, so I deal with small business owners like all the time. And the ones that try to hold it over your head, like, oh, well, I'm a CEO of X Y Z business, or oh, I'm the president of da 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 da. Most people's definition of being a being an entrepreneur is owning a business. You know, having a business that you own. And do you know how hard it is to really start your own business? Um, I'm gonna assume not. All you got to do is you go to the website for the Secretary of State for your state, fill out a couple forms, like which most of which is just what's your name and your phone number? What's the name of the business that you want? Like you file those you file those papers and you pay like one hundred and fifty two hundred dollar application fee. And then congratulations, you've started your own LLC. And technically you are the president and CEO of XYZ Incorporated or whatever name you felt like taking that wasn't already taken. Yeah. Like I remember when we, and it is a bit of like an ego trip. When we first started the BS network proper, I was like, oh, I'm the CEO. And then the more I went on, like I would, I like have that generic scene from a movie where the guy's like looking in the mirror at himself and is like, what happened to you, man? You used to be cool. So now I just refer to myself as like the head honcho when it comes to the BS network. Yeah, I mean, you're legit. You've got the title that everyone else you work with wants. You are the president of the BS. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right. So let me ask you this. Do you have any advice for someone who would like to start podcasting, maybe broadcastings for them, or maybe just want to start their own kind of self-owned business where it's just them? Do you have any advice for them? Yeah, I got I got a few, especially in the realm of podcasting, because with podcasting, the great thing about it is that it's a very low overhead, meaning anybody can do podcasts. The bad thing about podcasting, anybody can do podcasting. And I feel like uh, like the hippy dippy part of me that went to a liberal arts college wants to be like, everyone has a story that they need to tell. And I believe that. But I also believe no one. At least 90% of people know what their story is because that knowing what your story is means delving a lot deeper into yourself than most people feel comfortable doing. So for me, like I said, um, I tr when I do guest spots, I try to bring like a little bit of chaos, a little bit of rebellion, a little bit of craziness. And for a while, I was like, ah, that's just who I am. And then one time in college, I realized why. And it was, uh, I remember we were doing some scene exercise where someone would go up, form a shape. Another actor would go up, form a shape, and basically make a scene out of just bodies and shapes. And every time they did it, I would do something exactly the opposite of what everybody else was doing. So if everybody's standing and like posing gracefully, I'd lie flat on the ground. And one time I, it finally clicked for me and I said, I've realized why I've been rebellious my entire life. And my teacher goes, what's up? And I go, because that's how they talk in theater classes. What up? And I said, it's because my entire life, I never thought I could be the leader. I never thought I could be the person taking charge. And so I realized in that moment, the only way to get attention other than that is to be the rebellious one. When people think of the like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you think like Leonardo, and then you think Raphael. You think the leader, then you think the rebel. When you think the Avengers, you think Captain America, the leader, Iron Man, the rebellious one. So that's why. And then once I realized that, I was able to take it and put it into my brand as like we definitely go against the grain with what we do. So I will say any person starting off, figure out what your story is. And that means having some like 
uncomfortable conversations with yourself. Like it took me four plus years to figure figure out the majority of where I want to go and the majority of what I am and what I represent. Um, just uh, if we're gonna go like generic, like podcasting advice in in general, um, know what you have to say. So know that story and say it, and don't muck around. Like they're especially for us, we were very guilty of this in the early days of BS. We'd be like, oh, but I want to tell you this fun story about going out to the bars last night or i want to tell you this fun story i hate to say it because earlier i was like people love hearing us talk nobody wants to hear you talk about stuff like that they want to come for what they came for like i I listened to a few episodes of your show you didn't muck about that much it was very much i'm gonna talk about finance and i'm gonna get out and i think that makes some people nervous because especially for us when we first started doing bs we were like oh it's an hour show we got to do an hour every week if you've said everything you have to say and you're only 30 45 minutes in cut it don't try to add anything onto that you don't need to um let's see i i've written out notes uh let's see um oh yeah another one and this is this is one that was a tough thing for me to realize is when it comes to creating your own podcast, when it comes to doing anything like that, don't try to fit a square peg into a round hole. Don't try to do something that you're not. I started a podcast about fan fiction because I wanted to do a podcast where I talked about movies. And I was like, okay, but how do we make it creative? Because the network is very creative. I said, oh, well, fan fiction about that would be interesting. But that wasn't my show. That's a show for someone who's years into doing like, I I met some people who had done 500,000 word fan fictions. And I'm like, no, this is their show. This isn't mine. Um, so don't take someone's spot unless you've earned it. For me, I, like I said, I studied pro wrestling for years, getting ready to go train. I know every in and out of it that you need to. If you need me to explain a storyline or the entire career of John Cena, I can. I've earned the right to do a wrestling podcast. I love Disney and I love theme parks and I've gotten to visit theme parks. I've gotten to work at them. I've earned that right because I have a passion about it. But then there are certain people who come in and want to do a show about something they're only slightly familiar with. And then the show peters out after a few episodes and because they don't have any passion for it. It's not their spot to take. And so that's I think I, I remember I had that realization twice. I had it with fun fiction i had it with that show and then i had it in college because like i said in college i wanted to be a pro wrestler i didn't want to be an actor and i had this moment where i was auditioning for a play and my best friend who did want to be an actor was as well and i got cast in the play and he didn't and it really affected him and i remember him looking at me and saying this doesn't mean you're better than me and it killed me not because he hated me but because i realized oh this is his spot this is not my spot to take. And so that that's what I would say more than anything else. When you're starting a business, make sure you have the, make sure it is your spot. It is your place. And that goes back to learning about the kind of person you are and learning about what your story needs to be. Know that spot and take it. But if it's someone else's, don't try to fit yourself in there. Um, so that that's, that's probably my main really big advice in that. And then, oh, uh, also... Uh, another one would be if you do end up finding a spot, like for me, a wrestling podcast, of which there are several, 
find what sets you apart. So for us with the wrestling show, what set us apart was the fact that we were able to analyze things and we were able to say, oh, this happened, but it was only because they were setting up like his return in a few weeks or even looking at something happening in WWE and saying, oh, this doesn't work. And instead of being a normal wrestling show where they go, oh, that sucks. I can't believe they do that. That's so dumb. We instead offer the alternative of what they should have done. And so that's kind of what set us apart. And then also having our own audio drama really set us apart. But yeah, find what sets you apart, find your spot and take it. That's my advice. Well, that that is some powerful words. I'll be honest. I, I took a couple notes. So branching off of that, for the two or three listeners that we have left here, Let's transition to some money stuff. I, I'm I'm a finance nerd. I have to assume that both people listening right now are as well. And now that we're about 45 or 50 minutes into the episode, for the people holding on for dear life for some actual financial content, uh, so this is your full-time job. Would you say that your income is relatively stable, or do you have potentially wide swings month-to-month, season-to-season? And if so, how do you budget for that? Um, I... I would say the Patreon money is usually very steady. We rarely have someone like drop out or anything like that. It doesn't fluctuate too much. So Patreon's usually pretty steady. And then merch honestly just seems like a prize on top of it. And and like I said, I'm very uh, lucky lucky to have a wife who has a very good paying job. So I get to be Mr. Mom during the day and then podcast the bad boy podcasting at night. And so uh, it's it, it fluctuates a little bit, but not too much. And right now we're at a place where as long as I have enough to cover the expenses for the merch site and the uh, the hosting and all of that, I'm good. And anything else on top of that is is candy money, essentially. So I'm very grateful for that. Like I said, podcasting, not much overhead. And everything else, my wife usually takes care of it unless I can jump into it. Um, because I this is also another thing that comes from training to be a pro wrestler is you learn to be very frugal like there are a lot of pro wrestlers that'll tell stories of like oh we couldn't afford a hotel so i couldn't brush my teeth so i had to use a bottle of water outside of my car or guys who have stole toilet like if you go into their bathroom they didn't buy toilet paper they've stolen it from all the hotels they go to so i'm the same way i am very very frugal when it comes to stuff like my wife will order stuff from amazon all the time and i'm just staring like have you thought about everything? <laughs> Have you thought about all the implications <laughs> of buying this? Like, I will I will stand in line at Walmart with something in my hand, look at it a few times, and go, not worth it, and then walk out. So I'm very frugal when it comes to stuff like that. Well, yeah, being frugal certainly helps. And yeah, I, I'd agree that there's not a lot of overhead, but depending on the type of audio quality you're looking for, there, uh, <laughs> I had made a comment on a previous episode. Uh, you, you might want or need a couple hundred bucks worth of equipment to dump into this before you really get started. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it, the, I'm going to need a little bit on top of that, but still. I'm I'm sitting pretty right now, and that makes me happy. <laughs> well, I'm glad you had mentioned sitting pretty, because that brings me to my next point. So what kind of methods do you use to save? Like, whether that be saving for maybe some fun money, maybe you're going on vacation, maybe you're saving for an emergency fund, maybe investing, maybe retirement investing. Uh, what what does saving look like for you? Uh, Pretty ugly as of right now, not even going to lie. Uh, but I, I, I will say, like I said, the, I what I have covers my podcasting fees and stuff like that. And then I get a little bit on top of that. 
And I, I will want to spend that, like splurge and go to Taco Bell or something like that. And so I, I don't really have much savings right now. Ideally, what I would like to do, and I don't know if this is a good finance plan or not, but would like take an app like Acorns or something like that, because I'm not interested in the stock market, but I do know in Acorns, I have seen money grow numerous times back when I had a day job. So ideally, what I wouldn't mind doing is like, taking that extra overhead, like maybe an extra hundred off the top and putting that into an acorn fund. And so that way I can see that grow over a while because putting it just in savings is enough. I, I really like the concept of acorns and letting it grow. Oh yeah. And that's what this show is about. I mean, my show is about talking about just the power of compounding interest and how fun that can be. I mean, I actually had a tweet not too long ago that was demonstrated. I think it was it, if you save $100 a month from age, I think I did 65, I think I did 25 to 65, uh, you end up with something like $150,000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it, it adds up. I mean, just whatever you can, it adds up. Now, personally, I don't like acorns because if you're doing, you know, 50 or or $100 a month, that'll add up to something. But with acorns, it's like 10 cents here, 40 cents here, 50 cents there. Like, that's not... Compound interest is amazing, but with that low of a dollar amount, like, you're not really going to get any. Yeah, when I've only put, like, a little bit in acorns, I was like, this isn't worth it. Like, like the thing it'll do where it'll round up your purchases and put it in there, I was like, that's not much. But if you actually use it almost as, like, a secondary saving account, I saw some some increase with that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My, uh, my girlfriend's bank actually does that. This is the first time I've seen it, where... They'll do the, if you make a purchase and it ends in like 60 cents, they'll round up to the next dollar and that 40 cents will get put into a savings account for you. But they do it a little bit differently. You can do that, but there's an option to where like you can add a dollar or two. So it'll round up that 40 cents and then also add a dollar or two. And then you have like $2.40 go in instead of just the 40 cents. And that's something that's going to be a lot more substantial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I've got that. I I do have like at least a budgetary sheet, so that way I can look out and project. Because like once I realized, oh, I've only got my tax return money to live off for a few, I set up like a budgetary sheet where I can see like, okay, this credit card payment goes through here, this goes through here. So at least down the road, I can see like where I'm at. I, I think I can look at it and see where I'd be at in like September, just going off of my current payments and stuff like that. Um, it, and it helps a lot because for someone like me who occasionally has to travel to go to like podcast movement or something like that, it's important to be able to put in those and see where it looks like on a timeline and make sure I don't get too screwed up anywhere. That makes sense to me. I mean, you just got to find what works for you. I mean, I, I don't think I've said it yet, so I'm gonna go ahead and do it. Personal finance is personal. So you just got to find what works for you. Yeah, exactly. Do you think that being a professional podcaster, being an entrepreneur, someone who works for themselves, do you think that's really put a damper on? Like, do you think that's hurt you in regards to saving and investing? Uh, yeah, I, and it's strictly because of the limited income versus what I used to be used to. Because like I said, I, I used to have a very decent paying job. And so for that, I was like, oh, I've got so much I can save and now so much I can invest. And now that I've gone into where I just have pocket change compared to that job it's a lot harder to actually save and invest and especially currently it's like with the the pandemic and having to stay inside it's become more difficult even to budget because back when i got a weekly paycheck 
I would just go in, make sure my numbers were all right, and I would have a designated time. When I got that paycheck, I knew it was time to adjust the budget. Now I don't have that, so now I'm just staring like, oh, wait, it's Sunday, five weeks after I last adjusted the budget. Let's go in there and make sure it looks right. (laughs) Hey, uh, I made money this month, right? Yeah, exactly. Oh, lordy. So do you have any particular like money saving investing kind of philosophies that you follow? Maybe any like good quotes that you like? Uh, Yes. And it's quite possibly the worst financial advice of all time. That's why I'm happy to bring it to this show. But it's one of my favorite quotes of all time. And it's from a wrestler. Big surprise. Uh, But it's spend it now, make more later. I love that quote so much because like it was important for me, especially as somebody who was very hesitant to buy anything. It allowed me to be like, oh, yeah, I am going to be making more cash eventually. So we can, like, if we wanted to take a trip to Disney, not now, but like back before this whole thing happened, we had a Disney trip plan and stuff like that. So it's a a very badass way of looking at it. And I appreciate that a lot. And it, it also makes me think when I think about it, it makes me think about like big purchases because I'm very frugal most of the time but when it comes to a big purchase i will look i will try to find like if i'm going somewhere a discounted flight or something like that but it it lets me it stops me from holding back on the things that i want at the end of the day you can't take it with you and i just it's to me it's very important to be able to look at it and say i want this i need to go to podcast movement i need to go to podfest i need this i need that and it it allows me to do it without feeling any guilt. I've got a lot of friends who feel guilty about spending money about anything, even stuff they very, very much want. And so that was when I was like, I'm going to make it back. It's almost like getting a bad haircut. It'll grow back. It's okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's actually an economical mindset. Uh, So that in general, in economics, there's two mindsets. You have a scarcity mindset and then you have an abundance mindset. A scarcity mindset is like, oh my god, there's only so much money out there in the world, I gotta go fight and claw and just, I gotta go out and I gotta get mine. And then the abundance mindset is, there's plenty of money, that money's always moving, constantly shifting hands, if need be, I can run out there, work 80, 90 hours a week, and I can get it all back. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, with me, pro wrestling mindset, uh, do the stuff, and this is more coming from a world of like, I guess the word would be star building, but live poor so you can look rich is another thing I like to, I like to live by because people will be like when I had my day job and I'd be traveling to Seattle and Orlando and uh, LA and all these places, they would think, Oh wow, you must have a lot of money. And it's like, no, I just don't spend money. So then I can just blow it all on a trip to LA. And then I build back up from there. Boom, and that's certainly one way to do it. Uh, two, two of my favorite money quotes, which one of them is a joke, but I love it anyway. The, the first one's from a rapper. I always forget who said it. I look it up all the time, and I can never remember. But he said something like, if you can't buy it twice, you can't afford it. Or if you can't buy two of them, you can't afford it. Right? That's good. That's very good. And the other one, I know this one by heart, because I just love it. Uh, Wesley Snipes, spend your money. Yeah. Of course, the uh, uh, for those of you in the audience who don't know, Wesley Snipes served three years in prison for tax evasion. 
apparently his whole like his catchphrase right at the 90 was spend your money if you don't have it the irs can't tax it so good <laughs> yeah and then he went to jail no, but my favorite one, you know, uh, DMX, uh, X gonna give it to you. Well, apparently throughout the early 2000s, DMX was was accused of not paying taxes. And the prosecuting attorney for the IRS was in court, like looking at the looking at the jury or something. He's in court and he's going, yeah. And during the time frame that the man known as DMX was not paying taxes or accused of not paying taxes, uh, he made such singles as X gonna give it to you, the proceeds of which he did not give to us. And, and I just think that's like the best quote. Like, that's me as a lawyer. That is me in a courtroom. Oh, my God, that's so bad. Like, it that's is the worst. Like, it is in the court records. That's great. <laughs> all right, we got to get moving. I, I can make money jokes all day. So do, do you have any other particular money advice? Like if you if there's someone in the audience right now of the one or two of them, if one of them is thinking of maybe starting their own podcast, starting their own business, uh, whatever, going out on their own, leaving that steady W-2 income, do you have any sort of money advice, maybe preparations, anything for them? Give the Give yourself a year to do to live your dream and if you can make money off it in that year good and then the next year keep going and as long as your next year is better than the last you're succeeding well i can't i can't add anything on to that so uh we're starting to get on a little bit in the episode so i think it's right about time to close out uh is there any last like parting advice or parting remarks uh, last second things you'd like to tell the audience uh didn't we just do this <laughs> no, no 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 that that was money this this is anything and everything right. oh on anything okay I, yeah and it, this is definitely liberal arts coming out but like it's it's a cheesy sentiment but it, nobody can be you but you and like i said you have a story to tell it is very important that the world hears your story it's important that the world hears your voice it's just you can't be afraid of what that story is uh, I've done numerous shows where people have been like, wow, you opened up a lot more than normal people. And I'm like, yeah, that's my story. That's what I have to tell. It's important. You got to own your life. You've got to own what you do. My story was finding creativity through chaos, and it was finding redemption through many, many bad mistakes. So don't be afraid of your mistakes. Own them and use them to move forward. Sounds good to me. So for people who are just hearing your story and are interested and want to follow you, want to follow your journey to be the, the guy that's on the most podcast episodes in a year, where can people go to follow you or, or where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Scotty Mo, S-C-O-T-T-Y-E-M-O. And you can find all my podcasts at a load of pure BS.com. If you want to follow my journey specifically, I would recommend checking out the podcast me again. It's a self-help podcast about helping myself, but most importantly, it's a daily diary. So you get to hear like me come on and talk about doing this show or uh, what what's happening behind the scenes in the network, what's happening in my actual life. You get all of the behind the scenes. Like I said, that is literally my story. It's what's happening. If I mess up during the day, I come on the show and I talk about messing up like it's it's everything. All righty. Well, Scotty, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a great time and a good interview. Even though you talked about derailing new podcasts when you're on them, we'll, we'll forgive you for that. 
I will have all of Scotty's links in the description if you'd like to follow him and follow his journey. And this is Alex, signing off. Thanks for listening. <laughs>